G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. All the big name performers would come and perform on the Gold Coast or just south of the Gold Coast at Twin Towns or Seagulls, just south of the border in northern New South Wales. But they would always have their visit to the studios at 4GG. So I've got a autograph album that's full of lots of famous people's autographs. You know, celebrities, the renown of, say, a Tom Jones. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, if you're a regular listener to Vision Christian Radio, you'll recognise the voice of Neil Johnson as the host of the daily current events program called 2020. And today, Neil's going to go down memory lane and we'll hear the story behind the voice. We'll find out what led Neil to be involved in Christian Radio and why he's very concerned about Australian society becoming more and more secular. As a matter of fact, he's even put down his thoughts on his topic in a book called Public Christians in a Secular Age. We'll find out about that and a whole lot more as Neil Johnson shares his story with us today. He's having a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Neil Johnson, welcome to the program. Eric, what an absolute pleasure to be on the story with you. Oh, I am so excited to hear your story. Obviously, I've heard your voice for years, and I know you're a thinker. You think about the big stories of life, what direction society is going in. So you're a whole lot more than just a voice. You're also a big thinker. Is that right? Well, it's nice to think you're a big thinker until you are with someone else who thinks bigger than you do. (laughs) What I have the absolute privilege of doing is being able to bring the best out in some of the best thinkers, Christian thinkers Mm -hmm. here in Australia and around the world. So I get to frequently have wonderful conversations with people who are leaders and people who are authors and people who have expertise in so many different realms in their Christian life. And so this beautiful ability to have a radio program where my job is to bring the best out in the guest really helps to enlarge me too. So if I get to think a bit deeply about things, it's because some of that has shaped me because Mm -hmm. I've been hosting this program for well over a decade Mm -hmm. and some of that rubs off on you and some of the knowledge that others pass on to you becomes a part of who you are. So you're shaped along the journey. Well, you often interview authors, and today you are an author. You wrote your own book about some of the big picture topics that uh, you've been thinking about. So how does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone and be an author who's being interviewed? Well, it's a privilege to be interviewed as an author because if you've got a book, as I read somebody's quote just recently, when you read a book, you connect with the author's mind. Mm. And so if I have had some deeper thoughts or if I have had some enlarged understanding on some of the issues, then people reading the book can connect with me. 
And it's not a light read, what I've written, although one compliment I did receive was that, Neil, you've got something to say. Hmm. And you've been able to articulate those words in such a way that you communicate something a little deeper and very important for our society today. So writing a book like Public Christians in a Secular Age, well, that's got a certain ring to it as well because so many of us appreciate that things are deepening by way of a secularising in Australia. Mm -hmm. And secularising isn't something that is actually common all around the world, but in some places like Europe and especially Australia, we do appear to be into a slippery slope towards a deeply secularised society. Mm -hmm. So the sorts of thoughts that I've recorded in that, if you're talking about big picture thoughts, uh, is how do you change the season? If things are becoming secular, you could relate that to being a little bit like a winter season, Mm -hmm. everything icing over with a secularising of our society. So how do you come out of that? How do you change the season? And so I've got a, a way of being able to engage with some of the best thinkers of the day and bring to the readers perhaps some practical ways that they can unsecularize. Okay, so that's a good preview of your book. We'll talk a little bit more about your book in just a little bit, but first let's find out about your life story and what led up to you writing this book. Where were you born and raised? I'm a Queenslander born and bred, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was born in a small country town in Queensland called Mitchell. Mm -hmm. My parents were Aussies. And if you took family heritage, in fact, the grandparents on both sides, so my father's father and my mother's father were both picture show men. Yeah. Uh, So go back to the early 20th century when picture shows in country towns were rather portable Mm -hmm. and portable projectors and taken to country towns and set up for a Saturday night, open air uh, movies. Uh, That's the sort of families. And my impression is that my mother and father must have met somehow because their families were doing the same sorts of things as picture show people. And so, uh, so yes, I've got that sort of heritage, but I grew up in some country towns in Queensland. My mother actually died when I was just five years of age. Hmm. So that sort of threw my natural sister and I into a little bit of a tailspin and Mm -hmm. we were passed from family members to family uh, friends and uh, for about four years uh, being passed and uh, two and a half years there being raised by my grandparents. Oh, wow. That must have really, uh, you know, upset your childhood there. Uh, Yes, it is an upsetting of childhood Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's been a little bit of sympathy from family over the years because we've gone through that. But, of course, as a five-year-old at the time, I think you do roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. You go with the blows and you adjust and you adapt to what the circumstances are. And, And so I actually don't think of myself having a terribly upset upbringing. It's just the upbringing that I had. Mm -hmm. And my father remarried when I was nine years of age, and Mm -hmm. that threw us into a whole new level too, having a blended family. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, some people have positive blended family experiences. How is yours? Well, I think I've got a mixed one. And, you know, I, I can really identify with people who've gone through 
uh, some of those issues in a blended family experience that aren't terribly positive, mm. uh, but uh, yeah. there are also some good positives that come out of it because uh, at this point uh, my stepmother is still alive and we have a wonderful mm-hmm. relationship. Oh, okay. Uh, she had extra children. They were all older than my sister and I, so I inherited uh, a brother so and some other brothers and sisters too but uh, but one particular brother who was still at home at the time who was three years my senior and mm-hmm. so going from little brother to having a big brother that had a bit of an impression on a young boy's life yeah was that a good thing you know it was a good thing and uh, there were some Times when you navigate as a child uh, where it's wonderful to have a big brother and if uh, there were issues around bullying and there were issues around, you know, what am I supposed to do next? Uh, having a big brother was fairly handy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was a different sort of a big brother from me. We were, uh, we were different people. I was pretty ordinary and I was fairly shy. Uh, but he was good-looking and athletic and popular with the girls mm. and had a rebellious streak uh, that led him along a different sort of a pathway that I would likely have followed on uh, if I hadn't had, at that point in my life, an encounter with God. Mm. And uh, at age 14, so age 14 at a Baptist youth camp, that is where I had an encounter with Christ and invited him to come into my life. And that actually changed the trajectory. It was a little bit like a fork in the road mm-hmm. uh, from traveling along, following after a fairly rebellious big brother uh, to deciding that I was following Christ and wanting to deepen my faith in the things of God. So your path kind of changed at that point. What happened to your stepbrother? Well, my stepbrother uh, eventually joined the army and, uh, you know, just letting you in on uh, family secrets, uh, went AWOL and eventually Mm. was discharged from the army and uh, pursued a fairly rebellious life, never really got a good foothold in a career and things didn't go so well for him. And the challenging thing there, when you start to compare yourself and you have a story of two brothers, one Mm -hmm. goes one pathway and I chose a different fork in the road and Mm -hmm. uh, based on my faith, uh, he went off on a fork in the road experience and the pathway and the journey that he led uh, eventually led to a very dreadful end. And I'll Mm -hmm. never forget the words that my mother said uh, early one morning when we got the call, Stephen's dead. Wow. He had suicided Mm. and, uh, of course, going through that sort of experience uh, in some ways is debilitating and in other ways is an enriching experience. Uh, you, You have these sorts of experiences in your life and you don't like to know that you've got a connection in your family where there's been a suicide and mm. that can affect all sorts of ways that you think yourself. Mm. Uh, I think, though, in my own faith experience, there's been some strengthening in that. But there is a tale of two brothers there yeah. and a fork in the road. And I often will think that sometimes when I think about an encounter with God, an experience where I come to faith in Christ, uh, which was not very... Uh, lights flashing and bolts of lightning and uh, all those sorts of things. But as I reflect back on it, it was a way that God 
took me into a different direction, mm-hmm. which may well have gone an opposite direction or the direction that my brother went yeah. had I not had that experience at age 14. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so here you had this cool big brother at the time, and you probably wanted to be like him because he was good with the girls and athletic and all that kind of stuff. Why do you think you didn't follow him, and why did you go the other path and toward the Lord? Well, the interesting thing is uh, going along to a local church, and at age 14, this is a time when your identity is being shaped, Mm -hmm. and when you have friends that also have faith, and you get into a peer group that has positive pressure on you, Mm -hmm. it does shape you in a different direction. So there is a bit of preservation that happened there from going along the pathway uh, that my brother went, uh, mm. and so you could say a little bit of preservation in all of that because I avoided some of those pitfalls like drug use and some of the rebellious things that were going around in the broader age group of my time. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Neil Johnson, host of Vision's daily current events program called 2020. We just heard about his childhood and how at 14 years old, he was at a fork in the road and his life could have gone either towards the Lord or away from the Lord like his older stepbrother. Thankfully, he chose to follow the Lord and we'll hear about the impact his faith began to have on his life when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Neil Johnson, the host of Vision's daily current events program called 2020. He's sharing his life journey with us. Before the break, we heard how he became a Christian at 14 years old. Now we're going to hear more of his story, including how he got his start in radio. That was on a Baptist youth camp when I came to Christ. Uh, That point that I would identify as a moment when I asked Jesus into my life. Mm -hmm. About a year later, my parents moved from where we were living in Maribyrnong, Queensland, to Western Queensland, to the town of Longreach. Mm -hmm. And while I was part of the Baptist church in Maribyrnong, there was no Baptist church in Longreach at the time, and there was a small open brethren assembly just near our house. And so I had some friends at school who were also going there, so I actually locked in with the brethren. So early discipleship with a a really good, sound, evangelical brethren base. If uh, listeners can identify with that, Mm -hmm. uh, it's learning about, you know, the the wonders of salvation and assurance of salvation and early discipleship and taking responsibility for things. You know, we had some really wonderful times uh, in the youth group uh, in that early discipleship time in Longreach. And then eventually you began your radio career? 
Actually, it's around that time my radio career started. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we're talking now, I'm 57 years of age and I first started on the radio as a 16-year-old. So when I say four decades, oh, it is the larger part of four decades <laughs> yeah. that I've been on the radio. Yeah, I was going to high school and at the Longreach State High School, so for listeners in Longreach, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but on the parade ground one Friday... A note came from the principal saying the local radio station was looking for a part-time announcer to work on weekends. Mm -hmm. So two of us applied for the job and we both got the job. And uh, the fact that it wasn't just one job, there was two, but uh, I started my early training on the radio as a 16-year-old out in Western Queensland. And that's how it all began. And the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, uh, finish school. I left home the next day, started a full-time announcer role at 4HI in Emerald. I was the first night announcer on 4HI in Emerald. I was there for about a year. And then I scored a, a little bit more of a glamorous job on the Gold Coast in Queensland at the station called 4GG, which was a little bit glamorous. And I was yeah. the night announcer. And that was a place where I worked for five years and really got into the swing of things so far as radio goes, uh, enjoyed the environment that I was in, learned a lot of things there, rubbed shoulders with a lot of celebrities there. It was a really good experience, you might say, for a young man. So what did you like the most about radio? I mean, what attracted you to it? Actually, you know, Eric... I had a number of choices uh, leaving school. I was offered a position in the public service, Mm -hmm. in the main roads department, as it was in those days, uh, or I was offered a university place to study civil engineering, and I was offered a job to work full-time on the radio. And I might even say, foolishly, I chose the one that sounded like the most fun. (laughs) And so I chose the radio job. Works for me. (laughs) So I didn't get the degree in civil engineering and I didn't uh, go off and join the public service. I probably would have been a senior public servant by now had I not chosen to go on the radio. Any regrets? Sometimes I've had regrets because the radio career is a little bit, a little bit more um, uh, lack of security, and mm. uh, so early years in radio, it was very easy to uh, get a job and lose a job, mm. and uh, very easy to let go uh, an announcer if you didn't want them. So yes, there's a certain sense in which security comes with some mm. other career moves, yeah. but uh, yeah. on the radio, less career, but maybe a little more fun. Speaking of fun, you got to meet some celebrities. I did, and mixing with celebrities, or at least, you know, it's not really any sort of intimate in-depth, but got to meet a lot of celebrities. Uh, In those days, uh, all the big-name performers would come and perform on the Gold Coast or just south of the Gold Coast at Twin Towns or Seagulls, just south of the border in northern New South Wales. Mm -hmm. But they would always have their visit to the studios at 4GG. So I've got a autograph album that's full of lots of famous people's autographs. And when I say famous people, not just, you know, Aussie pop stars or rock stars, uh, but the likes of, 
you know, celebrities, the uh, the renown of, say, a Tom Jones. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, in fact, I had an interesting little encounter with Tom Jones because I didn't meet Tom in any sort of uh, official way. I went to the toilets and all of a sudden there I am at the urinal and beside me is Tom Jones. <laughs> so my introduction to Tom Jones is, oh, hi, Tom. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, that's uh, an interesting way of... Uh, meeting celebrities. But I've got an autograph album full of celebrity autographs. Yeah. But I, I discovered something a little later, Eric, and nice to think you met lots of celebrities like Harry Wayne Casey of Casey and the Sunshine Band yeah. or uh, a whole bunch of comedians or uh, movie stars. Uh, there were lots of those that came through. I got to, uh, to meet them, uh, interviewed some of them, got autographs for lots of them. And uh, for a little while I thought, well, this is the place to be. You get to mix with celebrities and you get to meet all these famous people. But, you know, a little later on, if I was to jump through another decade or two onto Christian radio, I had the most incredible experience when I did an interview with a couple of Iranian ladies. Mariam and Marzieh, their names were. Mm -hmm. And I had a a bit of an experience which was fairly significant because uh, when you get starstruck by celebrities, uh, it's something special that happens that breaks that sort of starstruck focus. And I had found myself in the studio on Christian radio and interviewing these two Iranian ladies who had been sentenced to be executed Mm. for their faith in... Iran, and they had, by a series of what you might even call miraculous events, had their execution status stopped, halted, pardoned, and they got out of that country as quickly as they could. Mm -hmm. But when you as a Christian meet someone who was imminently going to be executed for their faith, something happens and you start to appreciate the value of what a Christian martyr might be, Mm, someone who stands for their faith in Jesus, someone who would be so unmoved in what they know and they understand about God that they would go through and actually be sentenced to death for their faith. Now, so I've met now lots of people who have been arrested who have been even tortured for their faith, and those who have been on death row. And I've got to say, Eric, celebrities who sing songs or appear in movies are nowhere near the celebrity status of someone who has stood like that for Christ. Amen. They are the Mm -hmm. real heroes that I've met in my day. Yeah, I was going to say the world has celebrities, you know, movie stars and all that, but then there's heroes of the faith. And... I would have to agree with everything you're saying. You talk to somebody who's either been persecuted for their faith or just have done tremendous things for their faith, and they may not be celebrated on this earth, but afterwards, at their funeral, you're hearing all these fantastic stories. I mean, one guy I interviewed, he was a bus driver, but he had such an impact on young people's lives. You know, He was their hero, in a sense, because he would be the one that they would always go to when they had problems in life. Now, that's a hero, but he's not, you know, a celebrity in lights and on the TV screen, but he was a hero to those young people. 
you know, those heroes who humbly serve the Lord Mm -hmm. with their gift, they are the heroes. Uh, Sometimes we think of our pastors, uh, ministers in our churches, and uh, we see them as a little bit of heroes as well, and we've got to be careful about putting them on a pedestal. But those ones who go through the fire, those ones who go through the flames of uh, some levels of persecution, and they come out on the other side, and their faith is strengthened, and they are the ones who are able to give glory to God, even though they've been through a trial. They're Amen. really, really special people. And Eric, you know, I had this wonderful privilege back in, I think it was 2015, of going to the Middle East with the wonderful organization Open Doors mm-hmm. and visiting persecuted Christians because, as you know, Open Doors, they are ministers to the persecuted church. And so mm-hmm. I had a wonderful experience. I went to Lebanon. We're staying in the city of Beirut. Uh, we spent a couple of days on the border at a time when ISIS was active and at a time when civil war was rife in Syria and there were 800,000 refugees who had flooded across the border from Syria into Lebanon. Mm. And so the privilege of being able to visit uh, persecuted believers in a refugee camp or to see the work that goes on behind the scenes when Mm. you've got wonderful organizations like Open Doors that care for people in the persecuted church, that try all that they can and uh, develop and uh, fund resources into churches so that the church can remain viable even though they're under persecution, even though they're threatened with annihilation in Mm -hmm. some sense. Uh, But they have that courage and that bravery to be able to stay there. Those are heroes of faith. And I must say, I've had the privilege of meeting some of those two who've been so close to death, cheating death, because God has just intervened in last-minute circumstances. Mm, Yeah, Beautiful stories of believers who serve God in the harshest of circumstances. Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo having a chat with Visions' Neil Johnson, who's sharing his life journey. It's great to hear the story behind a familiar voice and how Neil got his start in radio. But as we've been hearing, Neil is much more than just a voice on the radio. He's a thinker and has done much reflection on the state of society today and where things are headed. He's written his thoughts down in his book called Public Christians in a Secular Age. You can find out more about Neil's book at Vision's online store. And of course, you can listen to Neil talk about the topic and others from a Christian perspective on his radio program. Just go to vision.org.au and look up the store for the book. And also, you can listen to podcasts of Neil's interviews on the 2020 page. Once again, that's all at Vision's website, vision.org.au. Well, until next time, when we'll hear more of Neil's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He said to me, Neil, I'm not feeling really well today. Can you be on standby to take over the message from me if I call on you? So I said, all right, you know, not expecting that I'd be called upon, but then I said, I'll do my best. And about two minutes into his introduction. He looks at me and says, Neil, I'm not well. Can you take over? 
Neil Johnson is the host of Vision's daily current events program called 2020, and he joins us once again to share more of his life journey, including the time he suddenly found that he was the lead pastor of a church. We'll find out about that and a whole lot more as we hear part two of Neil Johnson's story. That's next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily.